The following is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic Whittier events and gatherings, please visit mosaicwhittier.org. So this morning, as you heard from Tim, we're going to be entering the... um, final section of our series, the Hope series, um, the Tribe series, the section of, of Hope. Let's go ahead and get started. We're, what we're going to do first is we're going to take a moment to um, read uh, a chapter of Scripture, so we'll pop that up on the screen right now. And um, some of you have electronic devices, others of you have actual, you have something very quaint called books. You actually have a book in your hand, uh, very charming, very old school, keeping it real. And, um, but let's do something that we are uh, uh, bringing back bringing um, respect back, as it were. Let's stand as we read the scriptures, and I'll read this to you. I wish to tell you that when Peter wrote this, that folks were experiencing, who were followers of Jesus, a tremendous amount of nothing like America, nothing like anything. If, if you live in America and you say, I'm being persecuted for my faith, uh, with, and I mean this I want to say with all due respect, but then nothing respectful follows when people say that. So I'll say you're not thinking and you're being very foolish and immature. None of us in America, especially in Southern California, actually ever experienced what's real persecution, as our brothers and sisters are experiencing in other parts of the world. And the people that first read this letter were experiencing something uh, horrific and, and uh, just overwhelmingly uh, difficult and, hor- and uh, painful. And so Peter wrote this letter in response to some of the things that they were experiencing. So this is first, first Peter chapter 1. So God's elect exile scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. For what reason? To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and... Uh, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is, is where it's kept for you in heaven. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that you're proven genuine of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. You are, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings, uh, when, uh, when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, 
when they spoke of the things that they now have been told you by those who have been preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver, um, as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people, all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of a field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. This morning, we, um, as we begin the hope conversation, we'll have three of them. And this morning is uh, titled Hope Heals. Um, first of all, let me ask a question as you are maybe taking notes and your journals that you received when we first started this series. Um, who, who are the kind of people that need hope? Uh, who are the kind of people that need hope? Are they uh, folks that are in prison, people that were in difficult times, um, people who are hopeless, I guess? That's ultimately right. I mean, no matter who you say pe the people are that need hope, it's somebody that you think is hopeless. What I'm going to suggest to you is that everybody here in this room is hopeless. It's you, it's me. Uh, we are all hopeless in some level. Now, if you think at some point that, um, you know, I'm educated or I'm I have a job, I'm, I'm relatively pain-free, I'm, I'm cultured, uh, you know, I can read, I have some level of sophistication, I've, I'm successful, I have a job. Um, e even if it's not true, <laughs> if you think it's true, you won't feel like you need hope because you have something working for your life. You've met people who, um, they're in bad shape. Have you ever met this person? They're in tough shape, they have a life-dominating habit, some sort of an addiction or some sort of problem. But because they think they're okay, um, they don't feel hopeless. And so whether you try to get them into a program or help them experience sobriety or um, consider another way of living their life, they refuse to do so because they don't feel hopeless, even though from the outside they look pretty bad. Does that sound familiar? So you have people that are doing pretty well. They don't feel like they need any kind of real hope because things are working. They have a reason to feel good about themselves. Um, their hope is more circumstantial. And you have people, even if their circumstances are horrible, they don't recognize that it's horrible. They, they can live with it, they have a tolerance for it, and so they don't feel hopeless. But either way, both ends of the scale, we are essentially all hopeless, and that's what, why uh, hope is necessary for everybody. Um, now, two things. When, we, when, I, when I go through these verses and I make some explanations about the word hope, 
I want to tell you that in English, hope has a, 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 a level of uncertainty. Like if we say, gee, I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope this is going to work out. I hope this is going to happen. And what it means is that you want it to, but there's a good chance that it's not going to. But you would like it to, to work out. In the New Testament, however, and this is, where you, this is where you have to shift your thinking, and this is where it might be challenging. Every time, and this is every time, the New Testament uses the word hope, it's always a confident expectation. It's a certainty. It's, it's almost as if someone is um, saying, um, I'm looking forward to this thing happening. In Greek, it would say, I hope. There, there's a certainty to the expectation. There's a... Um, almost a confidence to it. And yet, unfortunately, since we don't have a, a real English word for it, whenever the translators translate it, and it's almost the same word every single time in the New Testament, for every word of hope, almost the same word over and over again. Sometimes it'll say trust, sometimes it'll say confidence, um, but often what we're left with in the scriptures is hope, but hope for us in English sounds like a level of uncertainty. And you've heard me joke about this when someone says, I hope this is going to go work out, or I, we're hoping to do this, and I'll make the comment, hope's not a strategy. Um, it's a wish. So here's what I want to start with, is hope, why we need it. Hope and why we need it. As I mentioned, when Peter wrote this, some of you familiar with history and with myth as well, know that our brothers and sisters in the first century experienced a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of well, yeah, persecution is an overused word, it almost means any, doesn't mean anything. People were being tossed from their homes. They were losing their businesses. Husbands and wives were being separated, sold into slavery, uh, executed, um, you know, exiled. There was political reasons. There was religious reasons. But, but followers of Jesus were not, were not accepted as good people. And uh, so Rome and others unleashed their anger or uncertainty and, and frustration with this cult in their minds. And um, that's who Peter wrote it to. Some of you know the legends of the Emperor Nero, how um, some of our brothers and sisters were used as human torches to light up his court. And, uh, and yet, you know, you think, you know, uh, I don't experience that kind, of, that kind of suffering here in America. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can pretty much do whatever you want. No one really cares. And the only reason why some of us maybe perhaps get some pushback is because, I, I, I want you to hear this, you just have an obnoxious personality, and we come across as arrogant and, and, and judgmental and awful. Uh, I don't care what religion you are or no religion, people are not going to like you. It has nothing to do with Christianity. It's just probably you as a person. And, and many of you have done this thinking that you're being, you know, um, a voice for God. And, and actually, that's not the God from the scriptures at all. Um, certainly, that's not Jesus who would, would hammer people who were not of faith. The people that he hammered are religious people. And so I do want to tell you, though, that it's impossible to get through life without some level of suffering, though. Now, this is not a gloom and doom. This is just a matter of fact, yes? That all of you at some level have experienced suffering that has little or nothing to do with your faith. Uh, someone died that was close to you. There was a financial reversal, an illness. This young woman that we saw a moment ago had her arm chopped off, bitten off by a shark. Um, and, and, and for some of us, you'll either become a very angry person or an apathetic person. 
But you're not going to get through life without some suffering. However, now this is the, what you need to hear. You're not going to get through suffering without some level of living hope. And that's the key. In fact, Dan, if you put verse 3 up, this is, this is something that is absolutely essential to get because it'll help get, when I help you get to the conclusion. One of the things that we received as followers of Jesus was this thing here called a living hope. Not a, a hope that I, I trust. How can I put this? When someone says to you that you're going to get a reward in heaven or you've got a place to stay, it, it sometimes seems kind of vague. It's kind of hard for that to be a, a comfort right now because it's just so far out there. I need something right now. And that's what Peter was saying to them, that you have a living hope. And so he even explains that you can have a moment of great sorrow and yet great joy at the same time because the relationship between joy and sorrow are now completely changed because of a living hope. Now, without a living hope, here's what I'm going to suggest is going to happen to you. You're going to become an animal. You'll either become very brutal, you become very ugly or nasty, or, or uh, perhaps you have enough civility and manners to mask it with civility and manners, but you're apathetic, you really don't care. You're a cynic, you assume the worst of people. You don't expect anything good to turn out well for you. You, you, you'll, you don't even enjoy things when they do go well because part of you thinks, well, it's just going to end anyways. And so without a living hope, you'll become very feral. It protects us from our worst selves. Living hope must be part of your life because without it, you become your worst self, you become apathetic, or you become angry. But the reason why it must be a living hope is this, because it has to outlive us. It has to be able to outlive us or any part of us. And what I mean by that is that it has to outlive your loves, it has to outlive your money, it has to outlive your jobs, it has to outlive your title, it has to outlive your zip code, your car, it has to outlive even parts of your body like it did for Bethany. It has to outlive you for it to be a hope that matters. Any hope that's tied to something about you or for you or your circumstance is a dead hope and it will die with you. Because as soon as that thing disappears or leaves, then your hope is gone, you're, you're a devastated person. Now you've seen this happen to people. Um, no one likes it when someone dies that's close to them. No one enjoys the process of, of, of a love that leaves. No one uh, appreciates having to lose their job and start all over again in a new business or a new industry or a new company. Uh, financial reversals are always a problem. Nobody enjoys any of that. But you've met people that when that happens, they're just like devastated. They're just crushed. They're almost destroyed. And why is that? It's because everything that mattered to them, their hope was based on that circumstance of this thing or this person or this, this situation. It's always fun to move into a bigger house, like, oh, hey, you know, moving on up, you know, to the east side. It's me old enough to remember the Jeffersons. It's different when you have to move to a smaller place because you lost a job. It, it, you know, so there's all these sort of things that happen through life that have nothing to do with your character, nothing to do with you being a bad person or making mistakes. So some of that does result from consequences from poor decisions, but you and I will never get through life without suffering. And you will not get through suffering without a living hope. And that living hope means that it has to outlive you and any part of you for it to be a valuable hope that sustains you when you go through suffering. That's verse 3. So, but how does hope work? Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Hope, um, if we jump into, uh, back to First Peter, verses 6 through 7, in this, look what he says here, in, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief 
in all kinds of trials. Go to the next verse. And these have come so that your proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. Now, this is a key verse, a phrase here that I, I mean, you, you, you'll miss it and misunderstand it. May result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Please leave that up there for a second. Hope is not a circumstance. Hope cannot be tied to something that you have or own or it's part of you at any level. And this is why I said a moment ago that the relationship between joy and sorrow is completely changed because you can have both at the same time. You can have absolutely have both at the same time. Let me give you a mild case of it. How many of you are parents? You've had somebody get married in your family? One of your kids get married? You remember that? We talked about this, Tom. Uh, when, when, when your first son or daughter gets married, there's, there's a mixture of joy and sorrow. You're happy for them, but it's like, ah, whatever we, the relationship is now different. Things have changed. People um, leave, you know, you're happy for their, you celebrate what they're going to be doing, but you kind of like, ah, I wish they weren't leaving. There's a, there's a bit of missing. When you move to a new job and you leave your family, you're glad to be gone, you know, you'll miss them when you are hungry, but you'll, you'll have a bit of joy and sorrow at the same time. <laughs> You, you never realize how good, how well, how amazing cook your mom was until you move out on your own. <laughs> I remember the first time I got married, the first time, when I got married, <laughs> there's been so many of them. I think it was the first week I was married. I, I, my mom used to get these cookies that I really loved. And uh, so I remember getting up one day, it was, I think it was a few days into it, went to the pantry, those cookies were not there. Like, oh, I have to buy them now, you know, it's like, <laughs> It was joy and sorrow at the same time. <laughs> Only if your hope is not in your circumstance can you have joy and sorrow at the same time. Understand that that's not only possible, it's the norm if you're a follower of Jesus because you have a living hope. You can have joy and sorrow at the same time. Because the, um, have you ever, oh my gosh, have you ever met those followers of Jesus? You wonder, man, are you, are you high? Uh, uh, you know, yes, you know, I'm going through this horrible thing, and I'm, but I'm just praising Jesus. And like, really? <laughs> I want you to, if Jesus is our model, the words that were used to describe this in First Peter about grief and sorrow and pain are the same words that were used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you have a, our Savior who experiences great pain, great sorrow, fear, to the point that it physically buckles him to his knees. And what he doesn't say is that, oh, I'm just praising Jesus, praising God, he's working out his will in my life. I'm, I'm not making light of this. Don't hear it that way. I want you to think up through the reality of that when pain comes, not only is it normal to be grieving, it's what our own Savior did. His best friend Lazarus dies. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He said so three days earlier. He's not sleeping. This is happening for the glory of God. But when he gets there, what happens? He weeps. When he rides into Jerusalem, the scripture there says there was a howling. We read it as he, and he cried. Can you imagine how weird that was? People are raising the palm leaves, a national symbol of Israel. Hometown hero, 
local boy does well, crying out, this is the Messiah. It's a political rally. You have to hear and feel what that was. And what does he do? He cries. The scripture says he cries. In the Greek, it was a howling. He was, when Hebrews tells us that he was acquainted with grief and sorrow, it's not being poetic. This is, this is fully stepping into a human experience. And he even asks God, if there's an option out, I'm open to the idea. Sweated blood, buckled under the weight of God's plan, screamed in pain. This was a, a, a man who experienced pain and sorrow. Now, I want to read something to you. It's not going to pop up on the screen, so I want you to hear this only. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What suffering does, and, and many of you who have gone through some difficult challenges, you'll, you know this, you don't wish it on anybody, and you don't want it to happen again, but you're glad it happened. Because it does this. It drives you back to Christ, and it drives you to our living joy, which is Christ. Now, it, it, it can drive you to anger. It can drive you to indifference. But, but joy is meant to um, drive you to Him. That's how it operates. In fact, uh, you've heard me say this a few times, um, that you learn nothing in success. You really don't get anything when things are going well. You're just enjoying it. You're, you're along for the ride. You know, you're cruising slow and low, right? Things are going well. Just with the little chain steering wheel, just like that. Power steering. <laughs> Blasting it with your subwoofer all the way up. Because things are going well. And you and I both know, as cliche as it sounds, your spiritual life is not as intense when things are going well as when things are going tough. Yes? Okay. Pain and suffering and, and, and difficulties kickstarts your joy. It actually, listen to me, kickstarts your joy because it drives you to Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. That's how, that's how hope operates. How do we get it? Now, you heard the Hebrews 12.2 passage that, that for the joy set before him. Have you ever wondered what that was? What was his living joy? Because he needed it as well. How do we, so hope and how we get it. So what is this hope? We get some clues in the scripture, so let me, let me go back to it. Um, let's go to verse 3 for just a moment. If you could drop us there, Dan. Poor guy's got to jump around all these scriptures. Perfect. So we know one thing. It says it's a living hope. In verse 4, it'll say that it's an inheritance. Verse 4 says that inheritance doesn't perish. So it doesn't... Um, we, we, we moved into this older home a few months back, and uh, there were some things that were perishing and uh, spoiling and fading. Um, look where this inheritance is. It's kept for you in heaven. Now, uh, one of the things we discovered in this old house is that it had a wall safe. I'm not going to tell you where because I really like my Timex watches. <laughs> but uh, so there was, 
you know, whoever those people were that put that wall safe in there needed someplace safe to secure something that was of value to them. Is that, is that fair to say? This hope is of value. It's a living hope. It's an inheritance. It doesn't spoil. It doesn't fade. It doesn't break. And it's also kept for you someplace safe. Where? In heaven. Where it can't be taken away. But also where it's also waiting for us at the same time. That's our living hope. What's our living hope? Christ himself. Now, still, if you're not, if you're trying to think and put these pieces together, how does that make a difference right now when I'm going through the, the meat grinder of life? Because I know some of you from your texts and your emails, you've had a tough time. Maybe you're experiencing it now. Or maybe you feel like you're about to experience something difficult that you don't want. You would not, you're not choosing this time for yourself. And yet, there you are, you find yourself with it. So verse 7. And this is where, when you first read this, you think it's you. Well, let me read it to you. So speaking of the difficulties and pains and sorrows, they came to prove your faith. And it, it says how amazing that faith is. Paul says it's, it's more valuable than gold. You know, it's given an example. But it's that last part that you'll miss. So that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now hold that for a second there, Dan. When you read that, doesn't it sound like uh, when Jesus Christ comes or when you're in heaven, you're going to be praising and giving glory and honor to Christ? Yes? It, 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 do you guys hear it that way? You heard it wrong. This is why the living hope can hold you in pain. Because when you get there, it's Christ that praises you. See, look, look what it says. If it was that we're supposed to be praising Christ, and don't, I'm not saying we're not going to. I'm just saying that in the result of this living hope, what sustains us is that it will result in praise, glory, and honor. We'll, we'll praise Jesus, but faith results in praise, glory, and honor from Jesus. Now, if, if some of you are hearing this, you feel uncomfortable with that idea, at some level, you don't know, realize how much the Father wishes to dote on you. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus got our record, we get Jesus' record. Our brother Tom, our elder here, mentioned this verse, uh, made a quote, a, a statement in, a, in his talk a couple weeks ago, and it's still kind of rolling it in my head, that righteousness comes in gift form only. And that verse says that we get the righteousness of Christ. You, the, the Father, one thing I like about traveling is coming home. In fact, let me I'll, I'll hold that metaphor and give you another metaphor. The one thing I liked about traveling when I used to commute on a bus was cold days because often when it was cold and windy and wet, you know, um, you're wearing a coat and you're standing out there waiting for the bus to arrive or under the little shelter thing they provide. Then you step into the bus. Uh, I used to take this freeway flyer from Whittier into L.A. And there usually were nicer buses than the local stops. And they were always warm. The seats were a little bit nicer. Not as much gum or human debris. Not as much DNA all over the bus. And it, I appreciated the warmth and the comfort of the bus having stepped out of the cold. 
You with me so far? The one thing I like about traveling or airports is I, I, I love being outside at the terminals, watching people when they get home. Um, occasionally, some of our friends who've served in the military, there's people there, mom and dad, family with you know, flags or balloons, and you know, welcome home. Um, sometimes it seems to be um, two people who care for each other, they, they haven't seen each other, and, and they, they embrace. Um, I mean, I, probably like you you, you, you love to travel, it's fun when you do it, but it's, there's something about coming home, but you can't experience the coming home part until you've been gone. Follow? All right. That's what I'm trying to explain to you, is it found in First Peter. You have a Father in heaven, a, your Savior who cannot wait to greet you when you get home. You're, it's like, you're here! And he envelops you with his arms and his love and his embrace and everything that you sucked out or stole from people or circumstances, love, meaning, some significance, a value, level of importance. Every time we try to get that from somebody else, understand that's idolatry, that's what the scriptures refer to it. You finally have it completely without shame or guilt from your Savior himself. See, um, the elders had dinner the other day, and uh, we were talking about this, how often we were taught that, you know, there's a record of the, there's a film, there's a video when you get to heaven, and when you show up, you know, he's going to show you the video. Well, you were especially naughty this time of the day. Um, this is the crank, crank film. For some reason, it's a crank. Because <laughs> heaven's old school. Um, I guess they could stream it, you know, really be in the cloud because they really just download it. <laughs> but the, the scriptures never teach that. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about there's no record of wrong kept. It's such a goofy economy that, that you know, he, he, he awakens you from spiritual death. He gives you life, gives you a new name, gives you your, your talents, gives you the Holy Spirit to empower them lead you and guide you to truth, reward you for doing uh, works that he's already prepared in advance, applaud your obedience, and then when you get there, you get this amazing reward from the Savior himself. And for some reason, we're under the delusion that he, oh, I hope he likes me. When he can't wait to embrace you. That's your living hope. Everything that we sought or took from anything and everyone else, we finally receive completely without shame or sorrow or disgrace from Christ himself. Go back to Hebrews uh, 12, 2 for just a moment. Let me read this to you. What was the joy set before him? Think about it. What was his living joy? His living hope. What was it? Was it a crown? He already had that. Was it righteousness? He has that. Was it power and authority? He gave that up to come here. What was it? What did he have to, what was it that kept him going? What was it that pushed him through the cross? It was you, sir. It was you, Chris. It was you, Shalomar. Bobby, Dan back there. Toby, it was you. Delfino, it was you. 
That's what pushed him through it. Isaiah 53.11. Isaiah 53.11, the suffering servant chapter. After he has suffered, speaking of Christ, he will see the light of life and what? Be satisfied. Why? Because by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear the iniquities. What's odd to consider, and this is the living hope, that will get you through difficult suffering. We were Christ's living hope. And then he becomes ours. That's how hope heals. That's why we need it. That's how it operates. How we get it is looking to Christ, dwelling on that, fix, fixing your thoughts, your mind on him, what he's done for you, keeping unwrapping it, unwrapping it, unwrapping it. And when you're finished, you can continue unwrapping it. And that kind of hope will keep you through a difficult time because it's a living hope that outlives us. Father, thank you for being a good God who cares for us, loves us, who has become our living hope. What I pray for my friends and my family is that you allow us to more fully recognize the beautiful, lovely, glorious, amazing, full, unending, living hope that is Christ. Not only for our sake, but for the sake of others who we come in contact with, friends and families who do not know you. And even now, we take a moment to reflect and think of faces of people that we associate with, from folks we buy our gasoline from or our coffee, neighbors, family members, who do not yet have a living connection with, with you through our Savior Jesus Christ, we pray for them that they will come to know you and we repent and ask forgiveness for living in a way that as if we didn't have a living hope. Help us, I pray, see your Son more clearly. The Savior that cries and dies for his own creation, who loves us and can't wait to see us face to face. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, take out your uh, guest card and um, action card. Let's try to put some of this living hope, hope heals ideas into practice. Should be on the, on the screen here as well. Um, pray with somebody, not just for, not just for someone else. Uh, encourage them perhaps if they have a prayer. You know, have you ever said this thing? You hear someone talk to you and they go, oh man, I'll, I'll pray for you. Have you ever said that? And you mean it, but then you forget, unfortunately. You know what you could do? And I've done this. You could be at a street. You could be at a Starbucks. Doesn't, just say, hey, can I pray for you? No. And you know what people say most of the time? Yeah. I've never heard someone say, no, don't pray for me. I don't want that. Stop. Don't do it. Just pray for them right then and there. Um, here's another uh, action step. Hope is shaped by our relation to the future. What are, what are you expecting in the future for your life? What are you expecting? Are you expecting to be happy? Are you expecting to be joyful? Are you expecting something good to happen? Why? Now, I'm not challenging that. I think that's, I think that's a healthy way to think. But why is that? Because of Christ. Now, but if you're not, it, it, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I'm, ex, I'm expecting something bad. You know, I, I don't, it, if you don't have a, a future you're looking forward to, why? Who told you that your future was going to blow? Keep in mind that nothing, nothing in your past has to determine your future. And the last thing here, share your hopelessness with someone and ask for prayer. It could be here in this community. We have people who will pray with you. 
Uh, you can send an email and ask prayer team to be praying for you. Maybe it's a, it's a close friend or family member that you know is a follower of Christ. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, life is generally pretty good, but I have this thing that's just kind of hanging over me. Sometimes just confessing it begins to loosen its power and grip on you and have someone pray for you and experience loving hope. All right, God bless you guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to this production of Mosaic Whittier. For more information on getting connected with the Mosaic Whittier community, please visit mosaicwittier.org.